God, our Father, we love you. It is a privilege to know that it is not we who have chosen you. You chose us. While we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die. He made the first move. And not only that, Lord, you have chosen us that we may bear fruit and that the fruit that we bear will remain. And you said if we bear fruit that remains, then we can ask the Father anything in your name and you'll do it. And so the condition is bearing fruit. And the greatest fruit that a Christian can bear is to be a disciple maker by leading people out of darkness into the kingdom of light and developing them by teaching them to observe all of the things that you've commanded in your word. And now, God, take this time that we have together. May you be glorified, and may your church be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So the second lesson uh, in discipleship is, uh, I, I actually label it starting at the beginning, starting at the beginning. So everybody should have gotten a copy of the student's guide via email, and I know you can, do, you can answer the questions because my wife did it. And if she's able to do it online, uh, it's not hard. So, uh, so don't tell her I said that. <laughs> she was able to complete the answers. Uh, online. And um, so you got the student's version, version and uh, what's coming next, as I've already shared, is the teacher's version. Uh, level two is coming uh, now that we've finally gotten this product out, and it's going to be uh, the fundamentals of the faith, the uh, basic Bible doctrine. We'll have a, set, a series on, on basic Bible doctrine, and that uh, as soon as uh, Sister Price and Brother Price are willing to uh, roll up their sleeves to help me again, we'll get that project started. So when a person receives Jesus, one of the first things that we've experienced, and you can identify with this, is that the devil will cause you to question your salvation experience. Because you may not have felt anything when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Like the person sitting next to you, they cried, they, they stretched out on the floor, and they may have run through the church, and you just simply walked to the front and said, I do. Yes, I believe that Christ died for me, was buried for me, and rose on the third day according to the scriptures, and I accept him by faith. Uh, who's more saved, the person who runs around the church? and agrees that Christ accomplished the work of redemption or the person who says that I believe the same thing. The same. So, but the devil will tell you as a new Christian, see, if you were really saved, you would have been like them. You would have felt like them. And you might have even felt a certain way when you trusted Christ, but the first time somebody looks at you sideways, the old nature kicks in, and you said some things, and you said, oh, I thought I was saved. And so the devil will cause us to question the assurance of our salvation. 
the assurance of our salvation. Uh, when I do update this, one of the things that I'm going to add to this section is what we call eternal security. I'm going to add that as a, as a part of chapter, our, our second lesson. So what I want to consider with you is when we talk about the assurance of salvation, what does that mean to you? That, that we can be certain that we are sealed until the day of Christ or the day of redemption, until Christ comes back. So we don't have to, we don't have to doubt if what we accepted somehow now has departed from us. I've talked to people that have been in the church for 50 years, and they still are concerned that somehow if they slip up, they won't be saved. And so this section of uh, our training is essential to help people to understand that salvation is a gift. It is not, the base, not based on our works. The Bible said we are saved uh, uh, in uh, Titus chapter 3. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing and renewing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So it's by mercy, and mercy is when we get what we don't deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. And so salvation, the process of uh, discipleship starts with evangelism. And evangelism is what? Sharing the good news. What makes it good news? It's the best news. And we call it the good news because the Greek word is euangelion, which means good news. Good news. So what you want to do with the person that has received Christ is to explain and review their conversion experience. And you want to share four things that happen when a person makes the decision to accept Christ as their Savior. And the first thing is you needed to be saved. You needed to be saved, or you need to be saved. Romans chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 3, verses 3, verses 10 through 12. These are very familiar passages of Scripture, but these are essential, especially when you consider that we are in the last of the last days and there is a great falling away from sound doctrine. And so we need to return to the basics. So in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, what does the scripture say? As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Okay, so there's how many are righteous? And that word righteous has to do with our standing before God. None of us have a right standing with God. Because of what? Because of personal sin. Personal sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we say to a person today, how often do we hear the word sin? This is not in our vocabulary. I misremembered. I told a white lie. 
uh, you misunderstood me. Everybody makes a mistake. But you don't even hear preachers use the word sin. And therefore, we need to clarify what the meaning of that word is. What does the word sin mean? It comes from the Greek word harmutii, 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 or harmatia, harmatia, which means to what? To miss the mark, to fall short, to fall short. And when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, we can use Christianese, or we can do like Jesus did, look at the birds in the field, look at the look at the birds in the air, look at the grass on the field. So we need to learn how to communicate with people in ways that they can understand. So if you were explaining what sin was or is to someone, how would you do that? Missing the mark, harmatia, to fall short. How would you explain what sin is? So every time we fail to do what pleases God, we have sinned. Now, there's actually a definition of sin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, where it says that sin is the transgression or the breaking of the law, the, the word of God. Whenever we do what God says we shouldn't do, we have, we have fallen short. How would you illustrate it? An example of falling short. Have you ever falling short. We nearly fell short. We were trying to get back from uh, our vacation spot, and we had to catch the ferry to get back to where uh, we could start our journey home. And there was a severe traffic jam. And we got there. I think the, the boat was supposed to leave at 1130. And we got there at 1131. We missed the mark. And so the boat was, the big old freighter was still there. And uh, everybody knew that there was a traffic jam. And so we talked to the gentleman. We didn't bribe him or anything. But if we had to wait, we don't know when we would be able to get on that ferry again. So we had fallen short. We had not met the requirement. The standard was on the boat by 1130. It didn't matter that we got there Two seconds later, we missed the mark. And so when we talk about missing them, we ended up getting on that ferry, though. We were the last vehicle on the ferry. Yeah. Hallelujah. And the lady that was allowing vehicles, I mean, you should have been here. Everybody else got here on time. And I said, yes, mm-hmm. you're right. I'm so sorry. And we're driving up. And it doesn't make any sense. And I'm okay, praise the Lord. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. We, we were the last, there was, a tr- there was a pickup truck that was ahead of us, but it was too long. And we made it, not by works. But the point was, we didn't, it didn't matter what caused us to be late. The standard was 1130. 
God's standard is perfection. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. None of us are perfect. Therefore, we harmutii, we fall short, we miss the mark. We, we do not have the ability to reach God's perfect standard. And so when you talk to somebody about sin, you say it means that we miss the mark, we fall short. You ever run track? And if, how, if two people are running track, it's a 100-yard dash, and one person gets to the 95th yard, and they catch a cramp and fall out, and the next person gets to the 96th yard, which person wins the race? Neither, because they both missed the mark. The mark is the 100-yard line. None of us perfectly satisfies all the God requirements. God, because we do things wrong every day. Not just you, but the Bible says all. So we need to learn how to speak in the vernacular that people can understand. And so when we talk about sin, that's a foreign word to a lot of people. It means to miss, to mark, to fall short of God's perfect standard. Those are examples. Yeah, yeah, right. So let me give you an example of what, yeah, means to, what it means. Now, I'm not even using the word sin, of what it means to miss the mark, to fall short. And then I'll come back to the word sin, but it means that we, we lie. We yeah. don't always think pure thoughts. Uh, we, are, we can be vindictive. We can uh, tell somebody. We can break. We can not keep our word. And all of those are examples of falling short, of missing the mark. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God, eternal life through. So what does, when we say to somebody that the wages of sin is death, what does that mean? How would you explain that to somebody? What does death mean? What does that mean? They're not why we get it, but what does it mean when the Bible says the wages of sin is death? What, when, you, when, the, when the word death is used in the Bible, how is it used? It means we separation from God, that spiritual separation, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then James chapter 5, or some, somewhere around uh, the end of the chapter there, talked about another kind of death. So who has Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2? Yes. Quicken means to be made alive. Okay. Okay, now here's the key word, because when you go down to verse 5, read verse 5. Dead and what? Sin. Sin. Falling short of the glory of God. We were dead. And so the word quicken means to be made alive spiritually. The word in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, the word washing and regeneration, regeneration means to be made alive spiritually. 
And so when the Bible talks about death, there is spiritual death. So we were born separated from God. How would you illustrate that? A baby, when the baby comes out of the womb and they tap that little sweetheart or <laughs> that baby very much sounds alive. So if, if Paul says we were born dead, how would you explain that to someone? And we were born separated spiritually, yes. Until we receive the Holy Spirit. So there are two types of stethoscopes. There's the one that gives us a reading on our physical heart. That when a doctor, the gynecologist, or who's the person that does the baby? Pediatrician, obstetrician. And he listens, he listens. Heartbeat alive. But then there's a supernatural stethoscope. When God listened to our heartbeat spiritually, flatline. We were born dead, flatline, separated from God, no life. And the question is, what can a dead person do for themselves? Mm. That's why he says we were quickened by his grace. It, it, it took God to, to do it's not even resuscitation. You got to resuscitate means that something was already alive. <laughs> this wasn't resuscitation. This is regeneration. So you, you think of an illustration when you talk about the Bible. For wages of sin is death. Death in the Bible means there are three types of death. There's spiritual separation. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6. There's physical death. The Bible said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means when we die, what happens? The spirit departs from the, there's a separation. That's the only difference, and that always amazes me. I've seen thousands of people die in 19 years. I don't want to see nobody else die. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. The only thing that's different between them and us is the spirit has departed. They still there, the physical body. And it's like, it's strange. This person is still, and they were talking, and the next thing, they're not, because a separation occurred. The Bible said when God created Adam from the dust, he formed him into a full-grown man. But it wasn't until he breathed his nephesh, his breath, into his nostrils, Adam did not become a living soul. And so when the Bible says that we're dead, so there's spiritual death, there's physical death, and then there's eternal death. The Bible calls that the second death in the book of Revelation, where we are eternally separated from God, where hell is cast into a lake of fire, and those who are condemned there remain there throughout eternity. That's the second death. So we need to be able to explain in terminology that people can understand. So you think of your own illustration. Those just are ones that I've developed, that, that we are flatlined. And that means that there, you may be physically alive, and I can also use zombies. There's a zombie notion. Anybody into the, the zombie thing? Uh, what do they call it? Uh, is zombie apocalypse? Apocalypse, yeah. So they're physically, they're walking around, you know, they're walking around, but they don't, their souls, they, they're not alive. 
And so we got a, a world filled with dead people. Yes, sir. Is what? Yes. Right. So what I don't do, if I'm talking to somebody who's you trying to affirm their salvation, I don't. I, I make it keep it real simple. So I'm saying that we were the Bible, Romans chapter six, verse twenty-three. We're dead. That means we're separated from God spiritually. Uh, then the second thing is you cannot save yourself. You cannot save your salvation is free. What does Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say? For by grace we are saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, lest any man should boast. I believe that even the faith that we exercise to trust Christ is a gift. And that goes back to John chapter 6, verse 44. The Bible says, Jesus says, no man can come to the Father except the Father who sent me draws him by his spirit. And in, while it is true, that's divine, what we call sovereignty, where God independently acts on his own to bring those he has predestined to be saved, the human responsibility is that God, through the Holy Spirit, so works on our heart speaking to us about our need for him, that we have no other choice but to choose to accept him. So I'm still choosing, but if God didn't take the first step. So I can't save myself. We need to be saved. And then Jesus paid the price for our sins. And uh, that's the basis, again, of which trying to help people that are newly saved to have the assurance that their salvation can be, that their salvation is certain because it wasn't about us anyway. Uh, what does First uh, Peter chapter two verse twenty four teach? I see in uh, Galatians chapter. I think that's supposed to be Galatians chapter three verse thirteen. Oh, I'm not using the newer version. I wonder. Okay, about that. Let's see what we got here. Okay, who has that passage? Thank you. Amen. So who paid the price? How much of the price did he pay? For all of our sins. So Jesus is what we call our substitute. What's a substitute? Who, who took our place. So Jesus took your place. And every sin that you could ever commit the price that he paid by dying for us satisfied God. We call that theologically the, the propitiation 
or the atonement where Jesus appeased the wrath or averted divine wrath so that we don't have to face anymore. He paid the total price. So I cannot save myself. Uh, Christ paid the price for, for our sins. Uh, who has Galatians chapter 3, verse 13? And what you're doing, you're actually taking the person through the scripture, just like I'm doing intentionally with you. And they hear the word. Why do they need to hear the word? Faith comes by hearing the word is true. And word will say to a person's heart what our words could never communicate. All right, who has Galatians 3.13? Yes. It would be okay if somebody turned the air on. We don't have, yeah, that would be all right. I know how you all love air. <laughs> you have it, Galatians 3.13? So that's another one of those words. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So if you use that verse, you need to be prepared to explain it and to illustrate what it means to be redeemed and what it means that if somebody hung on a tree, why, why, were they, why was it thought that that person was cursed? And since Jesus did it for us, in what way did he take our curse away? All right. So we understand those things, but when you're trying to explain it, you just need to keep it really simple, and illustrations are very helpful. That he purchased us out of the marketplace of sin. That's the imagery that we were all slaves to sin. We were on, a, we were on the auction block, and we were under, the, we were under Satan, who's our owner, we were his possession. And then when Christ offered the ultimate gift of his own life, those of us who were formerly enslaved to sin are now purchased. And what we would have owed and couldn't pay on our own has been paid in full. Jesus paid it all. Okay? So Christ paid it all. And then you must believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so, again, that's what you did. You believed and you received. John chapter 1, verse 12 says what? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, the sons of God, and to all who believe in his name. When you accept Christ by faith, you become a spiritual son and daughter of God. And so you reiterate that. When you, when you made your profession of faith, the Lord promised that now you are part of his family. Uh, you can be sure of your salvation uh, you, uh, even though you are a, what, babe in Christ. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verses 2 and 3 say what? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 
And so when you become a Christian, the reason why you need someone to walk alongside you and the reason you will have questions is because a brand new Christian in the Bible is a spiritual babe. You're just starting. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 also talks about that as well. Your salvation is certain and secure, according to 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Let's look at those verses. 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. It is certain and secure, your salvation. What does it mean to be saved? We talked about that last time, too. Salvation means what? I'm probably supposed to stay over here. To be saved, delivered, rescued from what? The power, the penalty, the guilt, and ultimately the presence of sin. That's what it means to be saved. We needed to be saved. We couldn't save ourselves. The price for our salvation was, was paid for by Christ. And we received when we believed in what Christ accomplished. Who has 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 through 13? When can you know that you have eternal life? Once you receive salvation. He who has a son has what? After you come to church a couple times. After you've been baptized in Jesus' name. After you pass out a certain amount of watchtower tracks. After you turn, sell some bean pies. The Bible says, he who has a son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. These things were written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you have believed in the name of the Son of God. So the moment that you trust Christ, you become a, a part of the body, you become a part of the family of Christ, and that means that you're saved. Another, what's some other words that are used in the Bible for saved? What? What about John 3, verses 1 through 8, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night? He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born a second time. You must be born from above. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there are terms like, I've been regenerated. I've been, I'm born again. I, uh, those, are, those are redeemed. Another, you can say those kind of words, but they're, they're synonymous. But it doesn't always mean the same thing depending upon you who you're talking to. And I gave the illustration of people who just cavalierly, uh, you, uh, our former president said he was born again. Richard Pryor, after he burned himself up, said, I feel born again. So 
even Nicodemus, when Jesus said, you must be born again, he said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get, this, let's get some theological clarity on this. This makes no biological rationale because it's illogical. How can a man who's already born re-enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? So in his mind, being born again, he thought it was biological. And then Jesus said, that was just born of the flesh. Uh, let's look at that real quick. John chapter 3, verse 6. six. Uh, that's in the New Testament. Anybody have that? That which is, you must be born of the water and the spirit. Yes. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Okay. So the verse that I, the part of what I was looking for, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? Shall I say, unless you're born again of the water and of the spirit. And a lot of people misunderstand what that means, born of the water and the spirit. So they, they will attribute or interpret water and spirit means Baptism is required for being saved from the power and penalty and guilt of sin. The water in the spirit in that context, he's talking about the first birth is through the water of your mother's womb. You must be born the first time, and the second time is from above by the spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So we must be born the first time through the water of our mother's womb. Second time, we must be born from the Holy Spirit. Then he gives the example uh, of the wind. What happens when you're born again? The evidence is we don't see the wind, but we can see what? The what? The effects of the wind. So I know that the wind is blowing. I know that some air is on because I can feel it now. I was about to suffocate up in here. And everybody was just as comfortable and cozy and, and good. I'm like, oh, Lord, please get some. So the same is true of the Holy Spirit. You can't see him, but when you have been born from above, you will see the fruit, the effects of the Spirit of God in you, for the fruit of the Spirit is. There will be evidence. Jesus said, you shall know them by what? Their fruit. There will be evidence. There will be evidence. There will be evidence. Let's look at another passage of Scripture talking about the assurance of salvation. You, you, you are genuinely saved when you accept and believe in Christ. And then the next part of this will be you can't lose your salvation. Look at John chapter uh, 10, verses 29 and 20, 28 and 29. Would you somebody stand read that? Unless you have a Greek text, everybody should be able to stand and read it. All right, even Sister Val. Thank you, sis. I give them, why, is it, why, why does it say he gives us eternal life? Because it's, a, it's free, and it, but it comes from him, right? And what's eternal life? Life that never ends in the presence of God. So, so, so he said, I give unto them eternal life. 
They shall, they shall never perish. Yes. My father who has given them to me is greater than them all, than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Okay. I and my father are one. Okay, so Christ not only says that salvation is a gift, I give unto them eternal life. And the life that I give them eternal will never end, they shall never perish because this eternal life is life that never ends in the presence of the Lord. But it's the security of that is no one shall be able to do what? Snatch you. And here's the, it's like if there was a tug of war, no one would be strong enough to overpower God to take back the gift that Christ gave us. And so you're, not only do you have the assurance of salvation, but you have eternal security that you cannot lose the gift of salvation because God has secured it. Some, someone already read from Ephesians chapter, or shared from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, we are, we, are, we are sealed until the day of redemption. He who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of redemption. Now, here's, this is a verse, uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at that as well, that... When a person is dying, I will almost 99% of the time, I'm going to quote this scripture to them. Who, if, they're, if they're a Christian, who has Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39? I'm convinced that neither death nor life What was Paul persuaded about? That nothing can separate us from the love of God because of Christ Jesus. Nothing can take the unconditional love of God. And that whole section talks about adoption, how we became adopted, how as, as many as are led, they are the children of God, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. All of that section in Romans chapter 8 is talking about uh, he says, there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he describes why that is true. It's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've been adopted. And because we are adopted, nothing can separate us. So you, we are eternally secure. We are saints even we, when we act like we ain't. Aren't you glad about it? My salvation is kept by the promise of God. My salvation is not based on me having my best day. Because if it were, none of us would make it into heaven. Now, some people take the passage in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. It says, he that endureth till the end, the same shall be what? Saved. And so the seven-day Adventists... Jehovah's Witnesses, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, and a lot of these other 
heretical. Uh, we don't need to be expanding all of that because this is actually being recorded. But in any event, you can take one verse out of context and it may, may make it seem like somehow if you don't hold on, you're not going to make it in. And when you study that passage in Matthew 24, you understand that he's talking about the tribulation. And then it goes on to explain about what's going to happen during the tribulation and how difficult it is for people to trust Christ and many will be deceived. And uh, there are going to be people who are going to be in a position where they have to make a decision about life or death, and that is to receive the mark of the beast. And to receive that mark is to basically forfeit your soul. It's basically a way of saying that I never fully trusted the Lord. And those who don't endure to the end, the tribulation, who, who accept that mark. So that's one way of looking at it. But the point is that the scripture clearly teaches that we are, we, we are eternally secure. When you are trying to understand Bible doctrine, the way that you support the truth of a teaching in the scripture, that's what we mean by Bible doctrine, systematic teaching of a particular topic or thought, is that it will be supported by the entire canon of scripture. You don't just pull one verse out and say, oh, see, Matthew 24, verse 12 says, or Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, believe in uh, uh, if you believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and if you're not baptized in the name of Jesus, you're not saved. That's one verse. So if you take, you can pull a lot of verses out of context and prove anything you want to, but you want to look at the, and what does the Bible say about that subject throughout the, throughout the entire canon, canon of Scripture? Okay, you still with me? So we are eternally secure because of what? How can we know that we can't lose our salvation according to what we just looked at? It's a gift that was given, and we didn't have to do anything to earn it. That's one thing. No one can take it back because it is protected by who? God. And what's another reason? Because of Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love that has been extended to us through, uh, through salvation. Okay. Um, you will still experience temptation. And this was my issue. I actually thought that once I became a Christian, I would never have any difficulties with my tongue anymore, my thought life. And boy, was I wrong. I even thought that way when I went to seminary. Now I'm next to heaven. All these great men of God. I'm, I'll never. And I remember uh, we had a, uh, a home, an uh, uh, open house at the seminary. And I, uh, I was so convicted. I was in one of my inductive Bible, it was an introduction to the Bible. And that, that, that course basically talked about how we got the Bible and the arguments, the textual critics who disagreed with the scriptures. And my teacher was Dr. Charles Ryrie. Some of you may know the Ryrie Study Bible and all of that. 
that man could put the Sandman to sleep. He was such a boring teacher. Oh, my goodness. And I would routinely get my nap on <laughs> when he was teaching. I wouldn't be trying. And so we had this open house, and all the college professors, all white, standing in front. And uh, we're walking through, shaking everybody's hand. And I had this dream about some spooky dream about why I should never go to sleep in class. And I was sharing it with Dr. Ryrie, trying to apologize. And he started backing up from it, like, oh, oh. And then I realized, these dudes are human. They're just like me. And so there's never a time when we, none of, none of us will, another time when all, any of us will totally arrive. What does uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 say? Yes. So most people understand what temptation, what that word means. But the scripture says there is no temptation that you will ever experience but the same kind that is common to man. But when we are tempted, so the first thing it says that we will face temptation. And we have a whole chapter on that. We will encounter temptation. But God will make a way for us to escape. And then the scripture says in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted of God, for God tempteth no man with evil. But when every man is tempted, he's drawn away by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. So we, we all are temptable. So salvation doesn't take that away. So when you're talking to somebody who's struggling, I'm, I thought I was going to be perfect. I don't know why I'm still having these thoughts. I'm still dealing with fear. I'm still dealing with anger. I'm still struggling with lust, etc. That's not unusual. That's a normal experience of every Christian. Okay? What does 1 John chapter 1 say? We must, you can and must do what? Confess your sin. First John says what? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. So we already talked about what uh, we already talked about what sin is. We already talked about what death means in the Bible. We gave an illustration of what it means to be we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We talked about that. So when the Bible says, if we confess, what does that word confess mean? To what? To own up. That's a good way of saying it. It means to come into agreement. When we agree with what God says about what we did or thought, then he is faithful and just to forgive us. So we need to acknowledge by coming into agreement that this was wrong. So I'm going to be tempted. 
And if I, temptation itself is not sin. If I yield, I have a remedy. That if I agree with what God says about what I yielded to, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What happens when a Christian doesn't confess their sins? Okay, separation, that's probably not the best word, but there's a definite what? It's a disruption of our fellowship with God. So we never, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit never departs. But when I choose to withhold, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what does God say? I'm not going to hear your prayers. So the relationship is never broken. It's like if we have children and our children do crazy things, things that would really curl your hair and if you could and get away with it, you might send them to heaven a little earlier. Uh, what do you call it? First, what do you call it? First class. <laughs> So even though it interrupts our fellowship with our child, we, we can't, we're not on speaking terms. We ain't giving no money. We're not going to let them stay at our house. The relation, they're still your child. So unconfessed sin interrupts our fellowship. The Bible says we walk in the light as he is in light. The blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from sin. So, we can, so the blood of Christ as we're walking in the light, allows us to walk in harmony with him. And that word fellowship, what does that mean? Cake, donuts, and coffee, right? It means two fellas in the same ship. To share in, share in common likeness, to share something in common. And First Peter talks about we we. we are in fellowship with God because we share his divine nature. The, the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is living in us. God's DNA is in us. That never is interrupted because we're eternally secure. But when we withhold confession, the blessings of our fellowship are disrupted. Anybody have a, 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 ever have a problem with their their, their, their plumbing at home and something clogging the sink and or, or you turn the water on you're getting drips now doesn't mean that the water there's a problem there's no problem with the water stream there's something interrupting the flow you want force you want you want uh, you want speed and so forth but because there's a disruption until whatever's stopping the flow is removed you're going to get drips and when our fellowship is broken, the flow, the sun of the, the Bible says that the sun shines on the unjust and just. We still get blessed, but you getting crumbs. Some people just satisfied with crumbs, face all covered with crumbs. Oh God, I just feast it. And crumbs as you came to church and fell out and ran around and then went home and still lived like Beelzebub. But but the Jabez blessings, bless me indeed. Increase my territory. Yeah, I, I don't want just, a, I want you to, you know how the jeweler, you ever go, to, uh, uh, anybody ever go get a diamond? 
sometimes you ought to just do this. There's stuff that the, the jeweler will put out for everybody to see on the display case. But when you go in there and you say, I got some, some crazy money, the, the, the jeweler will say, let me show you my real prize. So he'll go back into the safe deposit box, and he'll bring you out that, 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 that special item that he has. That's what God has in store for Christians who are walking in fellowship with him. Some of us are just satisfied with the display case. But if we walk in the light as he's in light, not only are we cleansed from sin, but we get the full benefits of fellowship. So we want to tell people, we will be tempted. Sometimes we'll fail. And when we do, we need to confess, and the Lord will forgive us. Um, you need to study and apply God's word. Um, somebody shared this already. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. What does that say? Faith comes by and hearing by. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, study, a workman, not, rightly, word of truth. Uh, and so the scripture tells us that. I did not know how to study the Bible. I would read it, and thank God I got things from it. But it wasn't until I got taught inductive Bible study methods that I can go now. I have a system, and I, and I use it all the time. And there are things that I would not otherwise see if I didn't know how to find them. And so when people first get saved, they don't know how to study the Bible. And there are a lot of Christians who've been saved for a long time, never learned how to study the Bible. And you become totally dependent upon the pastor or somebody in the church to teach you. But if you just had to go to this word on your own, or you didn't have a commentary, could you actually open up this scripture and what, do what is called exegete, to draw out of the text what's actually in it? That's the goal of inductive Bible study. So we want to tell new Christians you need to study the Bible and apply it. Why do we need to apply the scripture? What does uh, James chapter 2, verse 20 say? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Because when you simply hear the word and not do the word, who's deceived? There are a lot of deceived Christians because we're comfortable and confident because we can quote a few verses. We know Christianese, but we're not living it. Why is it so important to apply the scriptures other than the fact that the Lord tells us to? It works. I sit around and I watch how some people, they come to church, they start at our church, and they start really at the beginning of the line. They come out of nothing. I went to seminary. I ain't know nothing. I was so hungry. I just wanted to know the word. And they couldn't get me. I was, like, devouring it. I, every time I got, got into a class, I was in the front seat. You, I, I didn't want to be in the middle. I didn't want to be in the back. I wanted to catch every word. Now, Charles Ryrie was hard. 
when you apply the word, you find that it works. That people can be in church all the oh, that Bible. I can't. I studied the Bible. No, you didn't. You might have studied it for information, but it was 18 inches from the wrong spot. When you apply the word, you find that it works and it blesses your life. What does Joshua 1 8 say? This book of the law. So you, if you don't allow, the, if you apply the word, if you, it says that you shall talk about it, you shall, you shall meditate on it, and you shall do it. If you talk about it, meditate on it, and do it, he says, then you shall be successful and prosperous. Anybody a witness of that being true? Oh, that was kind of weird. Are you a witness that it's true? Amen, 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 amen. Um, you need to memorize scripture, and that's how you, God confirms salvation as well. What does, what does Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say? Blessed is a man. That's your dad. Blessed is a man that what? The counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate all day. He shall feel like a traitor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Am I right about it? You memorize the scripture. That's a lost art. I memorize all those scriptures. That's the second best thing in terms of, well, the first best thing when it, when I was learning them because I did it for the wrong reason. The scriptures, God just used his word to totally change my life. Uh, but I memorized all my scriptures from the old King James. So when I quote them, I'm quoting from the old King James, even though the new King James is what we should be using at our church. Uh, look, I'm getting all kinds of side looks. Amen, amen. It's just easier to understand. That's all. Amen. But when I quote the scriptures, and I want them to really be scriptures, <laughs> it's going to be King James, uh, right? Um, you must do life with other Christians for spiritual growth and accountability. That was also something that came to me late in my experience as a pastor. We should have been doing this, this life group stuff a long time ago. That's how you survive. If you try to do this on your own, you're going to get gobbled up. That's why it's like to be alert, be aware, be vigilant that your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro throughout the earth, what, seeking who he may devour. Who is he seeking? Straddlers, strays, people that are not connected. People that leave the church are usually leaving not because there's a lack of word or even a lack of love. It's a lack of demonstration of that love because they don't have, they're not connected in relationship. Another thing that causes people to leave a good church is that they're not doing anything at that church. If you're not using the gifts that God has given you, you're going to feel, you're not going to be motivated. You're not going to be enthusiastic. And so you need to, with our life groups, you need to become a part of a life group. Well, we did that before, and we got to go. 
because as long the Bible talks about that, that we need to do not forsake the assembly. The blessedness is that the we, we is that we don't have to just be in a, a physical edifice now. We can actually do life from 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 our computers. But that's not a substitute for being being together. Amen. Here's the last thing. You need to be transparent with them without overwhelming them. What do you think that means? Right. Turn to uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. This is another thing that makes church plastic. And, And our young people, everything today is about, it's raw, it's keeping it real, it's right in your face. And the church often, in terms of we're apologizing about how we present the scriptures. But the world is, not, is unapologetic. And so here's what the scripture says in James chapter 5, verse 16. What does it tell us? That we need to do what? Confess, Confess to who? One, one to another, and then that what? Pray for one another. Don't go tell somebody what you confess. Let me tell you so you can pray with me about her. No, that's called what? That's gossip. Amen. But, and I say, if you had a church and you don't trust the leadership to, to maintain your confidences, you're at the wrong church. If you can't trust the pastor, the elders, the deacons, the, the sisters that are, we assign you to, we're not going to ever tell you to go talk to somebody to get help that we know isn't going to direct you in the word and maintain your confidence. Now, if you're talking about going, coming to church and killing everybody, that ain't going to be kept a secret. (laughs) But we need to confess our sins one to another. And the apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, he said, oh, wretched man am I. This dude wrote most of the Bible, most New Testament. He's a theologian of all theologians, a pastor of all pastors. And here he's talking about what I should do, I don't do. And what I shouldn't do, I do do. How in the world could this guy be saying that? Because he was was still struggling with the flesh. God doesn't hide the warts. The way that we come to deliverance in the church is that we have to be transparent. We got to be able to say, you know what? I had a bad day. I almost ran somebody off the road. And then I got close enough to them to see how big they were. And I, I said, I was, <laughs> I just wanted you to know that your, your license wasn't illuminated or something. <laughs> now you, you got two sins going on. So the assurance of salvation, the assurance of salvation. And remember, you can go online, download the student handbook, and you can fill in the answers right on the computer. Amen? We have copies if, uh, for the entire student handbook. Once we're finished, I will send you the completed uh, teacher's manual. We already have it. I just want you to go through this first. All right, let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. We know <clears throat> that sometimes...